Welcome, Warren, to 91.8 Hayes FM, the Fusel Fit Health and Fitness Show. Thank you very much for having me. You are welcome. I'm so excited to be speaking to you today. Um, and obviously, I've known you for a little while now, and I, I met you through Boxercise. Yeah. And uh, one of the reasons I was really attracted to speak to you today is because we had a conversation at Boxercise before, mainly about my own health, but it really sparked an interest in me in the kind of work that you do with other people. Right. So do you want to share a little bit about yourself if you want to introduce yourself and the work that you do? Yeah. Um, so as you said, my name is Warren Williams. I focus a lot on what I call whole being health. So I kind of have a, um, a slogan to kind of summarize what I do, which is more about awakening in the human beings to their potential through whole being health. So it's about unlocking people's awareness to their own health. So I always talk about kind of empowering you to become your own doctor, which basically means making choices that are self-sustaining. So we're trying to get people to kind of reclaim their own health and become their own doctor through, first of all, being aware of being able to listen to their body through introspection and then through action. So Obviously, you know, you're familiar with um, the six stages of action, which relates to um, pre-contemplation where people are kind of in denial. So if we use the smoker as an example, a smoker may kind of know in the back of their mind that smoking kills, but they still smoke. So they're in that stage of pre-contemplation. And then you move forward from pre-contemplation into contemplation where maybe someone in your family has passed through smoking or you know, you have, a, you have a child and you kind of get to the stage of where contemplation happens and you think, maybe I should actually stop this thing. Then you move to the third stage, which is kind of getting into action. And when you're in this um, action stage, you're actually acting on the, the things that you did to prepare. So maybe in your preparation stage, you went and you phoned friends and said, can you support me? Or you went and got a Nicorette patch or anything like that. You started to research. And then once you've researched that, you've gotten to the point where you action it. That's what I kind of do. I kind of get people to go from their, their pre-contemplation or denial stage into a preparation to an action stage. So part of what I do is helping people to kind of move forwards in their life by actually taking action into things that they know they need to to improve their well-being. So that's kind of what I do. I help kind of get people to transition from doubt, transition from lack of information, transition from um, self, you know, disbelief and all those sort of things and move into a stage of action. So that's kind of like what I do. I work a lot nutritionally with people, work hormonally with people, as well as work on exercise, posture, movement, martial arts, energetic healing, which is something I'm very, very big on, as well as working on people's core values, which is their personal beliefs on themselves. Um, so it's quite a lot of things. It's kind of everything you can think of related to whole being health, anything that covers the whole body. Um, so what's your background? What got you into this? And has like your fitness career changed into what you're doing now, like a more holistic approach? Well, actually, um, my background is I actually started martial arts um, about 25 years ago. And that's how I kind of got into the quote unquote fitness field. So I started with martial arts and I'd competed for many years. Um, I represented um, Great Britain um, in martial arts. Um, and um, then I kind of moved into what people call fitness, such as a personal trainer. But what I found was the information there wasn't what I expected it to be. It was at such a low level where all you're basically doing is training somebody's show muscles 
So we always talk about these show muscles and go muscles. So go muscles are performance-based and show muscles are just what you see in the mirror, aesthetics. So if people were thinking about that, I'd say, think about a bodybuilder and ask a bodybuilder to run a marathon. And you'd be like, okay, they can't because it's just show, it's not go. And was when I was in the industry um, that there was a lack of knowledge of true health. So I was kind of disillusioned and that made me want to study more. And at the same time, I actually picked up a very bad injury myself through um, competing. And um, I was on crutches for one and a half years. What competing were you doing? Martial arts. Okay. Yeah, through the martial art competing. So um, I ended up being on crutches for one and a half years. And um, that had affected me for many years since I'd had a lot of back pain, even though I was a personal trainer at this time, I had a lot of my own personal structural problems. So then my manager at the time said, why don't I go and study this thing with this guy called Paul Check on functional movements? Um, so I studied that, and after about six weeks of working with him, I corrected all of the issues that I'd had for about 15 years, back pain for 15 years. And I'd been seeing osteopaths and all these sort of people, and they couldn't correct it in working with them for years. And working with Paul Check, I'd corrected these issues myself in six weeks. So that empowered me to want to get further into this field of what's called functional exercise or kinesiology, which is basically movement mechanics. So I've been studying that since then. And I started working with clients, helping them to improve their posture, to improve their functional performance. And I got to a point where, you know, you always get challenging clients, which force you to grow. So I got to a point where I started to realize that even though I'd studied a lot about movements, there were certain things I was lacking in helping certain clients that had digestive disorders because I couldn't help them. So that led me to start studying nutrition um, life coaching and well-being because that allowed me to be able to work the psychic part of the client that was holding them back as well as the nutritional or hormonal parts that were actually holding them back from getting true health so that every single time I was found with something I couldn't understand I wanted to study it so I went into nutrition I went into life coaching then I went into psychic somatic um, healing and then what's, I eventually moved um, back into psychosomatic healing yeah so Psychosomatic healing is what we find is that um, if you think of it like this, the reason why most people are in pain is because of the fact that 95% of the thoughts that we have today are the ones that we had yesterday. We have about 60,000 thoughts a day. Oh, and 90%. <laughs> again? I know that. I can hear them. <laughs> <laughs> and 90% of the thoughts that we have each day are negative. So what that means is most of the problems that we have are self-created through our own thoughts. So what we always say is the person having the issue, illness or pain, it's faster to heal them if they believe that they are going to get healed far faster than the therapist can take that pain away. So in other words, if you go to a hospital and you, someone says you've got cancer and you say, yep, I'm going to die, yep, I'm going to die. There's nothing anyone can do because your belief is so powerful. That's what they call, you know, this, you know, they have um, no, no seaception where you, um, you know, the placebo effect yeah. when you've got something else, which is um, the nocebo effect. And the nocebo effect is if you tell yourself something negative, something negative will happen. So that's kind of the psychosomatic element where your thoughts are so powerful that they create a self-determined reality. So if you have a client that's stuck in their own well-being 
a lot of that is because of their acceptance in their belief system or their mindset that they are stuck in that state of health or ill health. So if you don't deal with that or address that, there's nothing else you can do for the client because that's the most important factor. And the psyche, as they say, the psyche is everything that you are that cannot be weighed or measured. And it's the most powerful part of you because belief supersedes everything. And you talk to any elite athlete and they'll tell you it's 90% in the mind. So that's the psychosomatic part. 10% genetics. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, you know, it's like if you, you know, sometimes you watch a film and there's this big muscly guy and he's about to fight and then you see this slim guy in the corner and you always, everybody says, but I'm going to bet on the big muscly guy because what they see is what they believe. And if you see someone with big muscles, you don't know what their heart is, but you say, well, that guy's big, so he's obviously going to win the fight. But the small guy, a small guy may have the most powerful mindset. And it's like I remember Mike Tyson, Mike Tyson, the great boxer, always quoted, and you know, you you would have heard this quote before. He said, "You can take the dog out of the out of the city, you know, or take the dog out of the ghetto, but you can't take the ghetto out of the dog." So the ghetto part would be the mindset. If you have that self-determined will to just win, it doesn't really matter what size you are, you can win. You overcome odds of somebody that may be bigger and stronger who doesn't have the same mindset as you. So, you know, especially when it comes to healing, the mind is such an important element that is avoided by a lot of people. I mean, how do you, as well, when you first get a client to, because you've got obviously got all of these skills now, how do you then determine what that person needs? Do you have to do like a, a massive amount of history? Because also some people are going to want something from you and you know they need something different to what they're asking. Good question. Yeah, basically, this is going to sound bad. But most of what the client says is absolute crap. Most of what they say is crap. And the reason why is because most people, um, I'm going to kind of get around to your answer in a different way. So um, humans typically have what I call a trinity within them. The person, the real them. And the real them, so I'll use an example of a guy who thinks he's a bad man. <laughs> <You know? laughs> thinks he's a bad man and you know he probably talks like he's I don't know why but he's you know he talks like he's Jamaican but he's from bloody Essex yeah and he's got this fake persona about himself and he thinks he's hard and tough because he believes in what he sees himself as rather than the real him so he comes to you with back pain and that back pain is coming from an emotional issue that he has because he fears being himself so much that he's imprinted this fake system on him on himself and he's he's vulnerable inside because you know a lot of these people that put on this fake fake persona they're actually quite shallow inside they're, they're in pain but they're in so much emotional pain they've learned to block it and then they create this false image of strength when those people come to you and they tell you their story what they're saying is pretty much crap because it's fake so what you have to do as the therapist is understand and respect them coming to you, understand that they're expressing what they think is true, but realize what most of what they're saying is wrong. So what you have to learn to do is to interpret the client truly through connecting to them. So what we talk about is um, something called anchoring. So anchoring basically means you have someone in the same room as you, you learn to relax and you read what the body is actually sending you as information because we all put out information all the time whether we vocalize it or not and just to give you an example of that have you ever gone into somebody's house where a boyfriend and girlfriend husband and wife had just had an argument 
but when you knock the door, they're carrying like they didn't have an argument. And you walk in a house and you know they had an argument because you can sense the energy. Yeah. But they put on this brave face and say, no, we're fine. That's an example of somebody lying. But what's really going on is their body's projecting that out, which is what you're reading. So when you, you know, getting back to your question, when you work with someone, the first thing we have to do is we have to calm ourselves down, get rid of our own emotional baggage and then let the person's energy and their information be received by you simply relaxing and letting go. And the thing is, is it's not hard because we all do it. You know, we can all go to somebody's house and tell that they just had an argument or tell that they're frustrated or tell that they're down. So the human body is constantly giving out a lot of bioelectric energy. And that electric energy is interpreted as emotional energy or information that we can read. So you must have got quite good at doing that in a quick um, session now. Because yeah. I'd imagine that would take you a good few sessions to get to know somebody. And then all that time, they're probably thinking this isn't working for them. They're still not getting down to the hardcore workouts or whatever it is they wanted from you initially. Mm. Yeah, definitely. I mean, a lot of people that come to you, they think that they come into you to get rid of back pain. But the back pain was actually something that was the reason why they came to you but it's not actually why they actually need to come to you they may need to come to you for something else what drove the back pain what's the back pain stopping you from doing and that's the question you have to ask the person when they say to you oh i've come to you because i've got a back issue you say to them okay what's the back issue stopping you from doing so that's the real thing so in in summary what i'm basically saying is um when you work with a client the most important thing to establish is what's the dream that's what the true issue is. What's the dream for the person? They want to lose 20 pounds. No, that's not the dream. What's, why do you want to lose 20 pounds? Oh, I want to lose 20 pounds because of a wedding. Okay, that's the dream. But 20 pounds is just a vehicle to get you to your dream. Or if someone says, um, you know, I want, I want to get a six pack. That might not be why they actually want to get a six pack. They, they may say, oh, I want to look good. Well, why do you want to look good? Because they have low self-esteem. Mm. That's the dream. But also, so you, what is looking good? Exactly, yeah. So you want to kind of establish what the actual client is truly coming to you for. So the first thing you have to establish is what's the overarching dream that the person has in their life. Once you establish that, then you can work on their dream, their true dream, rather than what they think they're coming to you for, such as back pain. Because the back pain is only a blocking agent from stopping that person doing what they really want to do. And the reason why they want to get out of back pain is so they can go and live their dream. So you have to establish what's the dream in the first place. So once you establish what their dream is, the next thing you do is you work on their core values. Because their core values are allowing you to be able to help that person to fulfill their dream because it's not enough to say my dream is um to be successful and you say okay you have to now work on what is the means that creates that success for that person so you establish that first of all by finding out what their core values are or helping them to establish their core values and their core values basically a core value is the guiding principles of that person that makes them feel important for themselves so this is typically in about three or four criterias. The first criteria would be core values for health. So let's say their core value for health is, I want to drink, my core value for health is drinking two liters of water every single day. They may not achieve it, but they need to know what their established core value is. Because if you don't have an idea what's important to you, then how can you know what makes you happy? 
And if you talk to most people, you will find that most people don't actually know what makes them happy. So if they don't know what makes them happy, how do they know they aren't already achieving happiness? But most people walk around in sadness because they haven't got a clue what to establish to define whether or not that's what happiness is to them. So you have to, first of all, establish their core values. So like I said, if it's lifestyle, you first of all start with lifestyle or exercise. Okay, I need to drink two liters of water every single day. If I can do that, I am in line with that facet of my core values. I want six to, tw- six to eight hours of sleep every single night. If I establish that, I am sitting in that core value. I need to exercise three times a week for at least half an hour each day. If I get that, I'm in line with my core value. Once that person starts to identify that these things are established and they're actually creating that, then they start to realize that they are happier than what they thought they were because they're achieving some of the goals that they've set for themselves. And these core values are individual. No one can say that's not a core value because it's personalized to you. The next thing is, um, the next category is core values when it comes to relationships. So, you know, sometimes you you date the wrong person and you see a lot of unhappy relationships, which is why statistically most people get married three times and the average marriage lasts two and a half years. The reason why that's the case is because people haven't even established what's important for a relationship. So you need to establish what your core values are for relationships. So it may be, I don't want someone that smokes. I want someone who's good with children. I want someone who spends more time at home than they do going out partying and so on. You establish your core values for what's important to you for relationships. And in the final category, um, there are other subdivisions, but just in general, the other category for core values is come when it is um, work. So what are your core values when it comes to work? Now, something fascinating about that is a recent study has shown that 73% of all people are emotionally disengaged from their work, which means they don't like what they're doing. So they're what we call prostituting themselves. And what we, what we mean by prostituting is somebody who's working for money and isn't enjoying what they're doing. That's a prostitute, a prostitute archetype. And most people are like that. So you need to establish what your core values are when it comes to what's comfortable for you when it comes to work. So it will be things like the distance that you're willing to travel, the type of people that you're willing to work for, the amount of money that you're willing to work for, um, the criterias of um, you know what type of work you want to do. Like some people say, I only want to do work which is you know to do with charities or I only want to do work that is to do with um, building businesses. You know, you have to establish all the core values when it comes to work so you know what makes you happy. And success and happiness are completely different things, as you know. So success is getting what you want, but happiness is wanting what you get. And most people are at the stage of success, not happiness. That's interesting. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So that's what we mean by the prostitute part, where people just work for money. And some people stay in a job because they're so fearful of not having money that they're unwilling to pursue their dream. That's a prostitute. And where you've got all of these analogies and all this research that you've done, do you not feel like, I don't know how your sessions are, I've seen like videos where you've been training people doing all the functional movements and everything. So I would imagine somebody comes to you and you're doing like a physical session. It sounds very much like coaching and almost counselling. Yeah, I mean, you break it up into different sessions. Like I said, you really work on the whole person. So what I typically would do when I come to when someone comes to me is, like I said, I anchor myself first so I can actually find out what's really going on behind the veil. 
Once I've done that, I help the client to build their core values. Once they've set their core values, so we still haven't started the physical process of exercise. So I help them to establish what their core values are. And we typically do this in Skype sessions. And once you've established that, when, what the person starts to realize is that exercise is secondary to their life purpose. So they start to see exercise as something that isn't as stressful anymore because, as you know, working in the fitness industry, so many people are so stressed about looking a specific way, and that can ruin their lives. You can have people that have relationships, and they spend more time at the gym than they do with their partner because they're so focused on what they see in the mirror rather than what's driving the circuitry. So, you know, we're talking about hardware and software here. So if you, as a trainer, know that your client is unhappy, but you only work on what the client is asking you to work on because you're both fearful of truly unstripping those veils, then what you're really doing is you're lying to your client because you're training an unhappy client. And it doesn't really matter if that person's unhappy. It doesn't matter how good their six-pack is, how low their body fat is, because what's truly going on underneath the surface is emotional. So if you don't deal with that part first, then the training is a substitute for what's really going on with the client. So that way we can really start helping people. Once they kind of see that you're helping them with their life purpose, then training becomes more fun because now it's secondary. You're just doing it as a byproduct of being happy as opposed to covering up the symptoms of what drove you to see the, the person in the first place. That's so good that you just said that. I'm, I'm really fascinated in that because I don't know if you've seen much that I'm doing lately. I'm doing more body image coaching and trying to help people be more body positive. And yeah. obviously having myself gone through the process of bodybuilding and that was me, you mm. know, the exercise was primary and mm. then it was deep down everything else. So where you said as well about, um, you know, your show, your show muscles, show muscles that's exactly yeah. it. Cause you stand on stage and it's almost a front, the biggest muscles you've got, the posing, the smile, yeah. the tan, the makeup deep down, you're mm. needing those people to, to tick boxes that you're looking good because then you feel like you're okay. Exactly. And without them ticking those boxes, it breaks away the exterior and then suddenly you're left with this interior that's, you know, very weak and insecure. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, and you know, even touching on that, you've got a lot of people that they get their, their we, we have something called personal power. And personal power and self-will relates to most people's opinion of what other people give them. So the ego, and when we say the ego, the ego, people think that the ego is a bad thing. They say, oh, you're egotistical. But people's understanding of the ego is actually quite wrong because the ego is simply a statement of me. All you're saying is I exist. So when a child, the first time a child learns to say no, they have now established their ego because children, are, it's called egocentric. What that means is a child thinks that if they're, if you're happy or you're sad, it's their fault. So they think that they are simply an extension of their parents. They don't actually realize they are an individual. So if their parents are angry or arguing, as you know, you know, a lot of people talk about, you know, you know, children and how they may have emotional trauma due to watching their parents enact and they learn relationships from their parents. So if a child sees their parents constantly arguing, the child thinks it's their fault because they're egocentric. They think everything around them is connected directly to them. So when a child learns to say no, they start to differentiate themselves from their parents because their parents are saying, eat this. And the child says no. And they say, oh, actually, I've got a choice now. I can actually say no. 
So they've now separated themselves from the collective. That's the ego. The ego is simply saying, I am me. I am a separate person from you. Now, the ego only represents 8% of who you really are. 92% of who we really are is our subconscious self. The ego is only the conscious part of us that we are given through ideas of other people. So basically, the ego is everybody else's ideas that we share. That's all the ego is. So when you watch the Kardashians and you watch all these shows, basically every single idea that you think is your own is ideas borrowed from other people and environments that you, you, you hang around. Like, you know, given an example of all these guys that are in gangs, their leader of the gang may talk a certain way. So all of the other guys in the gang follow. It's not their own identity. They are learning to copy somebody else's identity. If the leader of the gang wears his pants halfway down his ankles, everybody else copies because that's what you're supposed to do. It's not their choice. They are simply collecting other people's ideas and thinking of it as their own. Even religious people, they, um, they share their parents' belief system and they grow up. If your parents are, are Christian, you grow up as a Christian and you believe that that was your choice and it wasn't. You created that choice out of gathering the ideas from other people externally. And you see today with people fighting wars and willing to die over an idea that was given to them by somebody else that they think is their own idea and it's not. It's an idea that was given to them through the experience of life. So the ego is only what you think it is based on the experiences around you. It's not your own thing. The thing that is you is the 92%. So we are battling and arguing over things and choices and ideas that aren't, that aren't even our own. Just like what you said about the bodybuilding stuff. Um, you know, as you know, being a woman, the pressure on women to look a certain way, you know, is huge. I mean, if a woman you know, has a bit of a pot belly and they're 45, that's frowned on. Like, seriously? You go to any of those non-Westernized countries, you'll see women that have little pot bellies and they're proud of it. But we're made to think that you can't look like you're not healthy. If a woman has a wrinkle, she's old. But if a man has a wrinkle, they're distinguished. These ideas that we get like George Clooney, 55, 60, oh, he's a sex symbol. But someone like, um, I don't know, one of these older... Women, I can't think of an actress right Judy. now. Goldie Horn. Or... <laughs> I was thinking Richard and Judy for some reason. <laughs> okay, yeah, I mean, or even Goldie Horn or someone. You know, they 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 have to kill themselves in the gym to kind of look half decent so that they get the same kind of feedback that someone like George Clooney does. If a woman has grow or, or has grey hair, they're seen as old. If a man has grey hair, it's distinguished. But these are ideas and patterns that have been given to us by society. So again, it's going back to the ego sharing this idea given to it by other people. So we have to kind of get away from that and get back into a point where we actually connect to our inner selves. And the only way you can establish that, first of all, is knowing what makes you happy. Not what makes you happy based on what other people say. Like if you're a woman and says someone says, oh, you look nice, you feel good today. You know, you only feel good because somebody else told you that. Or like what you said going on stage. And you may have low self-esteem and five judges say you look good. So now you're happy because they told you you look good. But when you looked in the mirror, you saw the same thing they saw. But because they gave you approval, all, the, all of a sudden it matters. It's the same with the scales. When people stand exactly. on the scales, if they've lost a couple of pounds because society says that being thinner will make you better. And they yeah. feel good that day. 
Yeah, exactly. And even when you see these posters um, of, you know, when you look at things like, you know, a lot of these soft drinks, um, you know, the soft drink companies and the posters always show these sexy women smiling and laughing like it's so cool to be drinking that product. And if you drink that product, you're going to be accepted by, you know, society because you're in a cool gang. So, again, it's, all of this is self-imposed images given to us by external people that have no connection to our life, but somehow we belly their opinion. So we kind of have to get away from this idea of other people's opinions and start starting to learn to love ourselves. There's a great, great, great quote that kind of summarizes this. And it says, um, happy people don't have the best of everything. They make the best of everything. And that's what we have to first of all establish. What makes you happy? But if you don't, ha if you don't have a dream, there's another quote for you. If you have a big enough dream, you don't need a crisis. Most people are so fixated on their nightmare. They're so, so fixated on what they can't achieve, what they don't have, what they haven't you know, gained in life, how much money they don't have. They're so focused on the, the have-nots rather than the haves, the glass half full rather than, sorry, the glass half empty rather than half full, that, that they can never be happy. The goalpost always moves. So what are we trying to do? In our lives, we're trying to get glorification by killing ourselves in the gym so other people will give us respect. Men that go in the gym training to get big bodies when women are like, well, where's your legs? But they're still going to the gym training their big bodies, the upper body. It's crazy. You know, so um, we have to kind of get away from this and get into self-growth. And I know you were talking to me um, some time ago on the email about this idea of getting into self-growth and loving you regardless of what you see in the outside and training the outside only because it makes you feel good rather than you having to look good because if you feel good you're going to look good anyway because it's a perspective yeah and it radiates from you doesn't it exactly exactly when someone takes a photograph of you and they can't see you know below your eyes but they can tell you're smiling or when you speak to someone on the phone you can tell they're smiling that's inner growth so happiness and um, laughter are completely different because laughter is stimulation. Like you see a joke and TV makes you laugh. That doesn't make you happy. But happiness comes from inner peace. And the inner peace can only come from you valuing what you know is true to yourself. And that can only be established by working on your core values, first of all, and knowing what your criteria is for what makes you happy. And then learning to understand what your dream is. And your dream is simply life purpose because you didn't come here to... You, you know, you didn't come to this planet to experience um, lifting weights in the gym. That wasn't your life purpose. That's just something that you do to um, value the temple that your physical body is in. You know, so what, you know, what is your true life purpose? Is it to help the needy? Is it to become, you know, the best athlete simply because you becoming the best athlete will motivate other women in the world, such as if you're Serena Williams and other women are looking at you and go, oh my gosh, the possibilities are endless. So is that her life purpose to become the best? So, my, so it makes other people want to become their best. Or are you trying to become a president or a CEO of a company that, you know, helps to, um, helps the poor, you know, it's always bigger than what's directly in front of us. And that's kind of like what I do. I first of all, and I know that sounds like we're talking about such big stuff here, but you know, you know, what's it got to do with fitness? It just means that if you're dealing with, if you're only working on fitness, you're only working on one part of the client. And if you want to help the client, you got to work on what's going on inside because that gives that allows the client to kind of stay with you for life. I've had clients that I've worked with for seven to ten years, and that's because we're working on so many different aspects of their self development as well as their physicality.
But that's true because your body is just your vehicle of life, isn't it? You need it to work and function and be fit and healthy just so that you can live your life. It shouldn't be your life, your, yeah. your gym. Yeah, exactly. Um, and just to touch on that, um, it's something else that we, we go through with our, with our clients and there's something called the four doctors. And what we always say is, if you live these four doctors, you don't, you won't need to go to the doctor, the general doctor as often because you are in harmony. And the four doctors relates to improving something called homeostasis. And homeostasis is the state of equilibrium. That's what it, when you look it up, it just means the state of equilibrium or optimal health or balance. So when someone is ill, the terminology is allostasis. So allostasis means that the body, the body is now out of harmony. So if you were eating the right foods for you and you were digesting that food optimally and eliminate, eliminating it optimally, then for that facet of health, you are in homeostasis or balance. So kind of summarizing the four doctors now, you've got Dr. Diet, which we kind of just kind of touched on. So Dr. Diet relates to this term of one man's food is another man's poison. So the way you understand this is when you eat certain foods, you can tell whether it agrees with you or not. Some people, they eat certain food and they have to go to the toilet straight away. So they know it's not good for them. We all know nowadays about food intolerances and food allergies. We know certain people can get into an anaphylactic shock when they eat nuts. So that's obviously something that doesn't work for them. So Dr. Diet is about, first of all, connecting to the foods that are right for you, not what the government tells you is right. Like, don't eat fat because it's so bad for you. Fat, most people don't know this, but fat is a hormone. So especially for women, um, and I'm sure you might have experienced this, experienced this as well, having to get very lean for competitions. When you go below 10% body fat for a woman, it actually affects your, your menstrual cycle because you need at least 10% fat to be able to, to ovulate properly. Um, so it's affecting women's um, uh, menstrual cycles every month because they're so focused on getting very lean. And in nature, animals fight other animals to actually compete for the fatter animals because they understand that if an animal is fatter, that relates to reproduction. So we know that having a good diet and including good fats in our diet means that we are closer to the homeostasis. So that's kind of like a summary of Dr. Diet. It's making sure you eat food that is right for you. And as an example, Eskimos eat about 80% fat and protein. Whereas over here, the general surgeon says fat's bad for you, but the Eskimos are amongst the, the healthiest nations on the planet. But it's also related to eating food slowly. The, um, another Tibetan saying, which is um, chew your water and drink your food. Which basically means chew your food so much that it's liquefied in your, in your mouth so that when you digest it, it's easier to eliminate from the body. So that's another part of Dr. Diet. I think you were going to ask me something. No, I was just going to say something back then when you mentioned animals competing for the bigger body for reproduction, mm. because actually humans are like that. And obviously women without their period are not um, able to reproduce. Yeah. And your sexual attraction to somebody should really be somebody who you, is fertile. Exactly. Which yeah. is where social media and all of the images that we get shown, because I remember it does something to the brain, and the more you see a certain image, the more you are attracted to it. Mm. So people are more and more attracted now to like females who aren't even fertile. Mm. You know, and naturally you are 
meant to be attracted to somebody who's fertile because the whole point of attraction yeah. is for reproduction. Exactly. So yeah, like you're alluding to this, like um, men are typically attracted to women with big hips uh, because that represents child, you know, say childbearing hips and all that sort of stuff. And that, as you said, relates to seeing someone who can hold it, you know, produce a child. So that's, like you said, the point of attraction is fertility. Um, so, you know, when we're looking at fat, we're looking at establishing a hormonal profile with a woman and knowing that they can produce. So that's a summary of um, Dr. Diet. So like we said, you know, one of the most important things is digestion starts in the mouth. So, you know, nowadays we've got people that chew their food. The average person in the Western world chews their food four times per mouthful where we're supposed to chew it minimum 30 times per mouthful, which is why, by the way, 90% of people in the Western world are constipated. And um, people think they're not constipated because they go to toilet every single day. That's not the stipulation for constipation. Constipation isn't going to toilet every single day. Constipation is relieving or eliminating 12 inches of fecal matter every single day. That's what actually is. So if you go every single day, but you're doing three inches every single day, that means you're still constipated. Um, so those are some of the principles when it comes to doctor diet. The next doctor is um, Dr. Quiet. Dr. Quiet is something that most people in the Western world struggle with when we spoke about the 60,000 thoughts a day. So we established Dr. Quiet by doing things that allow us to get into a state of calm. That state of calm is achieved through two, two branches of the autonomic nervous system. Um, the autonomic nervous system has two branches. Um, one is the sympathetic system, which is tissue breakdown, um, activation, and activity. Um, and the opposite side of that, and it's also and also the sympathetic system is the fight flight system of the body. So if you're in if you're in danger, like you're in the wild and you get trapped by a lion, then your body shunts blood from the internal organs of digestion and it sends it to the arms and legs, so that you can either run or fight. So that's the fight or flight system, which is the sympathetic system of the body or the sympathetic branch of the autonomic nervous system. The second part of that system is the parasympathetic system. The parasympathetic system is simply our rest-digest system. So um, it allows us to digest our food correctly, and the only way we do that is by eating in calm, not eating in a rush. And also the rest and repair is when we exercise, and we repair our muscles, that's part of the rest and digest, and also um, hormonally, because our body produces all the, all the stress hormones, testosterone, estrogen, progesterone, pregnenolone, and so on. We actually digest all of those hormones, hormones every single day, and then reproduce them every single day. But we have to be in a restful state for our body to harmonize and allow that to happen every single day. Um, so how we achieve the rest state is things like Tai Chi, Qigong, breathing exercises, um, going for slow walks. Meditation? Um, say again? Meditation? Yeah, meditation, um, you know, doing that tuning forks, all these sort of things that harmonize, deep breathing, all these sort of things that harmonize us into a state of total tranquility. Um, and, you know, most people just don't do that. They're so busy, you know, when people wake up, they wake up their alarm, their alarm stimulates them out of their sleep. Um, they go to work and they're rushing. They only give themselves just enough time to get to work. And on the way to work, there's always traffic. The train doesn't work. They're stuck in traffic. There's road rage. So they're always in a stressful state. They get to work. They've got deadlines. They're always in a stressful state. As soon as they leave work, they go to the gym. They, they stress their body when they go to the gym. 
then they go home and as soon as they go home they watch tv which is the news or a drama or a or a sci-fi film and it's stimulating 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 that's a stress response also then they go to sleep and the cycle continues and then people wonder why they have poor health because they're not expressing their dr quiet enough so that's dr quiet dr happy we've kind of already touched on dr happy is established in the dream and your core values so we've already gone through that so i won't go over that again then the last one um is dr movement and doctor movement relates to exercise, but it's also making sure that the movements that you're doing are specific for you. It's, it shocks me and annoys me so much when you go to a gym and the trainer, if you were to stand and watch one trainer for the whole day, they train everyone the same way. <laughs> They've got like this, their rule book of eight exercises. Everybody that comes in is doing those same exercises. And then one, the funny thing about it as well is, once the trainer has finished training those eight clients, then the trainer goes and trains themselves exactly the same way. <laughs> you can't train people like that, you know. So doctor movement is actually finding out what the client needs through testing. Now, another thing about that is 100% of all the clients that were um, tested on this what they found was every single client that a personal trainer sees has an undiagnosed disc issue. But it's not been addressed because the trainer hasn't got a clue because all they're doing is training the show muscles. They're not looking at what's going on underneath, whether they got a disc bulge or, or a prolapse or if they've got a herniated disc or spondylolisthesis or a scoliosis or any of these sort of things. So when we look at movement, we're looking at movements that are specific to their client. Do they need to mobilize? Do they need to stretch? Or do they just need to increase strength? The other part of doctor movement relates to moving forward in your life, making better choices that are actually progressive in your life. So that's kind of the four doctors. The four doctors is kind of like the overview of homeostasis. So if you're doing all of those four doctors every single day, then your life would look like this. You'd be exercising as often as you need to based on need. Um, you would be eating foods that are right for you, that are harmonized to you, that are easy to digest, easy to eliminate, and that give you the amount of energy you need day by day to sustain your work activity. You would spend enough time every single day by yourself in total silence. Um, as, an, as a note, Djokovic, Novak Djokovic, who's the best tennis player in the world now, he became the best tennis player in the world because one, he gave up gluten because he figured out he was gluten intolerant. And two, he eats organic. And three, he, um, he spends a lot of time doing mindfulness and Tai Chi, as well as when he eats food, he turns off his mobile phone, he doesn't talk to anyone and he eats in pure silence. So that is something that we need to establish every single day. And then four, we would, um, we would be journaling, we would do a gratitude journal, and at some point in the day, typically at the start of the day, and we would have our core values written out and be living our core values and be aware of our core values every single day. Those are the things that we should be doing every single day to be balanced. Because it's all about balance. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, life is about balance. And you know, the whole point of our, our experience here is to be the best version of ourselves. And the only way we can establish that is knowing what makes us happy. And the only way we can know what makes us happy is to become truly introspective. And introspective means to go inside yourself and listen to your own thoughts because we have such a powerful internal dialogue. And that internal dialogue governs our choices. 
And if our choices are governed by our internal dialogue, but we don't listen to our internal dialogue, then how can we take the direction in life that, that supports or sustains us? Because we're not even listening to what we're trying to convey to ourselves. Which is why it's so important to have some time out, isn't it? And the meditation, because when life's so busy and stressful and it's constantly go, 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 you actually can't listen to yourself because there's so yeah. much outside noise. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And something that's really interesting on that, like what you've just said, if I said this to you, I'll throw this out to you. Don't worry, it's not a hard question. It's just a guess. All right, so in nature, animals, scientists have found that animals in nature, not in captivity, not in, you know, theme parks, whatever, animals in nature suffer from four different diseases of any type. Only four. Only four different types of um, disease. What do you think humans suffer from in terms of the different types of diseases. So whether it's a flu, a cough, you know, the different types, like just throw out a number, what do you think? Oh, how many do humans suffer yeah, from? Yeah, how many, yeah, how many different types of diseases? If animals in nature only suffer from four. Humans must have way more. Yeah, they have way more. What would you think? I don't know, like 50 plus? 40,000. Wow. <laughs> 40,000 and a lot of that is because animals don't go through stress the thing is is most of our illnesses are self-driven because of our association with a thought process so animals the only stress that they have is being hunted by another predator and they're not being stressed 24 hours a day they're just chilling out if you look watch any animal in nature they're just chilling out until they have to run from a lion and that's going to last five minutes they're either dead <laughs> or They've, they've escaped us we've got all the stuff we spoke about uh, are my shoes good enough uh, does that guy like me enough is my car nice enough is my car clean enough uh, have I got enough money am I running from debt collectors and so on and so on and so on these are emotionally driven problems now I'm gonna tell you something really important when it comes to stress and perception right no one is reacting this is going to sound really weird but it's true no one is reacting to any circumstance they are only reacting to a self-generating program so as tony robbins um said no one is reacting to it's the, it's, it's not the event it's the label that we put on the event that creates the importance to it so an example would be Let's say two people go on a roller coaster ride. It's the same ride. At the same time, they're both sat in different seats. To one of them, it's absolute hell. To the other person, it's absolute joy. The event hasn't changed. The only thing that's changed is the perception between the two people. That's an example of what I mean. So no one's, no one's ever reacting to an event. They are reacting to a self-generating program. So sometimes you see someone and they're getting so angry about something and you think, what are you talking about? If someone just stepped on your shoe, is it really that important? Whereas to them, it's like somebody shot them. It's because they're reacting to their own programming. And their own programming goes back to what we spoke about with the ego. So we get so caught up in different things because we are connecting to our idea of something, not the truth of something, because really someone stepped in your shoe, really is that bad? I mean, you know, we've had people like, you know, again, all these tough guys that will kill someone for looking at them. You know, I'm, you know, I get it all the time I'm walking down the road. I look at someone and they look at me and they look at them like want to shoot me. 
that's an internally driven problem. So people aren't happy because of their internal programming and their internal programming is, is creating stress. And that stress is creating these 40,000 illnesses that we suffer from. It's not because of the food. The food is secondary. You know, when people say heart disease is the biggest killer on the planet, it's not. Stress is the biggest killer on the planet because stress creates heart disease. So stress is driven by our perception and our perception of what other people has given to us based on what we take on board. If you didn't care what people thought of how you looked, would you really spend, not you, you know, you know, per se, but would you really spend 15 hours a week training because you're so obsessed by making sure nobody says you're fat? You wouldn't care because there's no one around. And people say, no, 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 no. That's okay. If you were the only human being on the planet, would you train? And there's, there's no one else. It's just you and the animals. Would you train 15 hours a week? And when people stop me, go, I'm not actually sure I would. <laughs> because there would be no one to impress. So it tells you that you're doing it for other people. Yeah. You know, and if you see a guy in the gym lifting 500 pounds, actually, let's take that back. Let's say there's a, there's a guy in the gym and he's training, training, training. He gets to the point where he can lift. He's like, yes, I can finally lift 500 pounds. And he celebrates. And then tomorrow he goes to the gym and he sees a guy lift five, 510. What do you think that guy's going to do? He's going to try and lift 510. So he's not competing against himself. He's competing against the guy. Because if there was no guy there, would he really be bothered? No. If he was the only guy on the planet, he would already be the strongest guy on the planet anyway because there's no one else. Mm. So we're driven by other people. And also, what does that serve you lifting that much weight in a chest press? If it's yeah. not functional movement that you're going to do in day-to-day -day life, yeah. what do you need that for? Yeah, yeah. And like my coach always said, if you were an idiot to start with and now you go to the gym and now you can push 500 pounds, you're just an idiot who can lift 500 pounds. You haven't changed. So where's the progress? You know, so, um, yeah, so we're just trying to get people to kind of embrace understanding that there's more to life than what you see in the mirror. And what you see in the mirror should be an expression of how you feel. So, um, you know, something, something else we always say as well is... Um, What's the point of looking good but feeling bad? You know, what's more important? Would you rather feel good and look okay <laughs> rather than look amazing and feel like crap? And that's what you see today. And I'll tell you something else about that when it comes to breathing. Okay. So let's just establish this so we don't lose the listeners. Um, so the average person in the Western, I always keep saying the Western world because it's worse. Um, the average person in the Western world um, breathes 25,920 times per day. That's a lot. Your breathing rate increases based on the stress that you have. So obviously, if you're watching a horror film, and it goes, Dah! your heart races quickly because of a stress response. So the emotion triggers an elevation in respiration. So what we find is most people are constantly in stress, and you test them, you know, and I do it as part of my assessment. I assess people, and most well, pretty much everyone I've ever assessed, they're breathing as fast as it should be. And if you look in textbooks, they'll say normal breathing is between 12 and 18 breaths per minute. That's not normal. That's just common. And it's common because most people are doing this, and that, that has become the norm. But the correct norm is 6 to 10 breaths per minute. So when you realize that people are breathing too fast and you realize that breathing is driven by emotion, then that tells you straight away people are all constantly stressed all the time because the breathing doesn't lie. And their breathing is a measure of their stress, which is why when people 
are hyper, you know, hyperventilating. What do people say? Okay, calm down, breathe, get a paper bag. But the first thing people say when people are stressed is relax, breathe, breathe. Everyone says, even doctors, everyone says it, breathe, <laughs> because they know breathing is the highest form of control or emotional control. So we already know that everyone in the Western world is stressed because everybody's breathing too fast. So it tells you straight away. So that's why it's more important about establishing a connection to health and vitality first. Um, and just on that, you know, we were talking about this body beautiful thing. I'm going to link it back into this body beautiful thing. What they found as a controlled group is that if you were to look at all the different types of um, uh, careers in the world, the people that have the worst breathing in the world, again, in the Western world, are actually supermodels. Why is that? Because if you were to look at a supermodel, they hold their stomach because they are walking up and down a catwalk, so they actually hold their breathing, so they actually don't really breathe properly because they're so focused on not... Imagine a supermodel walking down the runway and they, they would die from actually breathing. They, you know, the baby was sticking out and coming back in. How weird that would look. So if you now go to a baby and look at any baby below the age of like two, and you'll see their belly coming out and in. Yeah. Mm. Imagine a supermodel walking down the catwalk and <laughs> out and in like that. No one would want that. But that's how we're supposed to breathe. We're supposed to breathe diaphragmatically. And because of the supermodels, they're always having to be almost naked. They constantly have to hold their stomach. So they can't breathe properly. So that's why most supermodels, you know, statistically... It's funny. I can't listen to this without doing the breathing now. <laughs> <laughs> it's like when somebody says pelvic floor. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. all of a sudden. <laughs> Everybody's tight and everything. Yeah, so, you know, we just know that we mustn't be focused on aesthetics because if you're focused on aesthetics, you're going to hold your stomach. And I remember when I was working with one of my Olympic athletes and I took her to see one, one of my coaches. And the first thing he said to her is just let your stomach hang out. And if you see her, I mean, she's ripped to shreds. And most women, you know that thing? Is most she women the, wanna... the long distance? Long jumper. Yeah, because I saw your video with her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the, the long jump, Olympic long jumper. And, um, She's got one of those bodies where women want to be her, men want to have sex with her. You know, she kind of goes back. But, you know, she was holding her stomach. Even though she looked ripped, she was still holding her stomach because of this perception of your stomach mustn't move. Because if you see a guy or a girl standing there with a good physique and their stomach's popping out, and then you think, that guy don't look good because his stomach's popping out. And then so we hold our breath. And that means we breathe into our neck and shoulders. And that's that drives a lot of, neck pain, shoulder pain, and upper back pain because we're, we're now making the upper part of our body um, pulsate and contract more than it should be because it's supposed to be coming from our stomach because there's no bones around there. That's the most relaxed part that we have. And also, when you breathe diaphragmatically, what you're doing is you're actually helping stimulate um, something called imbibition. Imbibition is basically pumping of the um, spine, of the spine itself because when you breathe, the spine is supposed to um, lengthen and shorten as the curvatures decrease and increase. So you actually get taller and shorter. And that, sh that, that height change creates pumping of the cerebral spinal fluid between the discs, which helps to give the discs health. And it also helps the organs um, move as well, because every organ in our body goes through a flexion, an extension, a lateral shift, and a rotation. And that is only helped through breathing diaphragmatically. 
So there's so much benefit to breathing rather than just saying how long I can inhale or exhale. It's actually helpful to our spine, helpful to our digestion and helpful to the organs. Well, you are a wealth of knowledge and I could speak to you forever, um, but I probably have to pay, wouldn't I? <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so if anybody does have questions, do you have like a social media or anything that you can share that you're willing for people to contact you if they have any questions on what you've discussed today? Yeah, I mean, sure. People can go to the website, which is warrenwilliamscoaching.com. And then there's Instagram, which is in, uh, Warren Coaching. And then there's Pete is um, Pin Interest. And yeah, there's, I've Twitter, got a lot of Twitter as well? Say again. Are you on Twitter? Yeah, I'm on Twitter as well, which is Warren W. Coaching on Twitter. Um, YouTube, I've got a YouTube channel with about 150 videos. There's a lot of educational stuff as well as a lot of exercise um, stuff as well as a lot of diagnostic stuff. And that's uh, Warren Williams on, on YouTube. Um, yeah, if people just search Warren Williams Coaching on Google, you'll get all of my social media, spot on everything. Okay, and I'll be sharing your, I'll probably tag you in Twitter as well when I put the audio up for people to listen to. Okay, cool, cool. Right, well, thank you so much. It's been lovely to talk to you today. Oh, it's been a pleasure. Thanks. I'm grateful to have this time. Lovely. Thank you. Talk to you soon. All right. Bye. Bye.